Well, I, it's great to see you, and it's good to be together. Um, this is um, our final wrap-up of the book of Galatians. Um, so, um, it's time for the students to speak out about what they learned. <laughs> um, as, and this is kind of a... I don't know if it's a scary thing to do, but um, as you've been listening, and you, you are, you're going to be free to talk here in the next two or three minutes, or um, what, what, has, what has this book um, impressed you with? What has been something you've taken home and begun to process or think about when you think about just these last uh, weeks, uh, even before Christmas, um, What's it, what's it, what, is, what has it been like for you to engage the book of Galatians? Um, and uh, it doesn't have to be incredibly profound, but I'd love for you to encourage others around you. Um, what, what's, what's been the take home for you? Uh, anyone who would be the first to just be brave and share a thought or two? Okay, I'll start in chapter one then. Um, no, I'm just... Because I can always do it again. No, I'm just joking. What's been a takeaway? Um, yes, Richard. It's easy to get steered away from the gospel if you uh, don't stay in the Word. Okay, all right. Easy to get to lose the gospel. Okay, stay in the Word. Okay, anyone else? What has been a take home for you? Okay. Galatians six, uh, verse ten: Do not grow weary in doing good. And okay, good, good practical uh, uh, admonition there. Anyone else on just something about the book of Galatians? Daily. Okay, good. All right. Where am I being legalistic and not applying the gospel to myself and therefore releasing others from my own rule-making? Yes, okay, good. We can produce lots of rules. Okay. Anyone else? You... Okay. One of the tasks of an elder, let you know, from our Book of Church order, uh, says that elders are to move among the flock, they're to interact with people, and to, to inquire as to how the Word of God is impacting them. In other words, how is it going? How are you receiving it? Um, what are the, what's the fruit there of the, of the Word preached? Some of you were quite intrigued last week when I mentioned that we're remodeling our house and that I'm watching these carpenters and other people do their tasks and they, the drywall guy starts off with a sheet of drywall and about 10 minutes later, it's up on the wall. <laughs> and as a preacher, uh, I'm intrigued by something that's done so quickly because I live in a world that is much more hard to figure out what's going on, right? 
And uh, I had many comments about that. And that really is the, the world we, we live in that I'm, I'm going to preach now in these moments. And I fully, it's not really, um, it's not something I can control, um, but to, to let God do his work among you and to let you be free to encounter the word of God and, uh, and to enjoy that process. And it takes longer than to put up a, a sheet of drywall. And, and that's okay. And uh, so let me pray for us and pray for me as we consider the text this morning. Father, I uh, thank you that this is not something that is quickly um, understood or uh, grasped. That the gospel is something that is um, always something that we must pursue. So in these moments, Lord, I pray you'd be present. Help me, Lord, because I am overwhelmed with the, the concept or the idea that I could ever communicate so clearly enough that I could actually be the one who does any of the work. Lord, I cannot do that. Thank you for my friends this morning that we are um, before your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. Thank you for these moments. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, um, you have the text there for, before you. Uh, Galatians six eleven through 18. Uh, let me do just a quick little overview of what's happening in the text. And then I'm going to target verse 14. I'm going to come back and look at that one. So, Paul's last salvo at heresy. Um, He makes a mention of these folks called the Judaizers. And they are uh, trying to get the Galatians to conform to Jewish customs and Jewish laws in order to be fully accepted by God. Jesus does his part but these rules and customs uh, really put you over the top and make you finally acceptable to God. The word for that is heresy. Uh, and you can, uh, you can trust your scriptures. They deny that continually. Uh, the Bible from beginning to end is uh, justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. And uh, so Paul has this final comment to the Galatians, and he says here, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So they're inconsistent. Uh, they are teaching something that's untrue, and they are wanting you to just be kind of feather, a feather in their cap. And uh, they are avoiding the cross. They're avoiding the cross. So then in, uh, in verse 14, we have Paul transitioning to his inner life. It's very similar to Galatians 2.20. Uh, his inner life. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So now we have Paul boasting in the flesh. And his final summary about religion and irreligion 
circumcision or uncircumcision, basically people who strive to do religious things in order to be accepted, and other people who just like avoid rules and regulations and want to be sort of free from all that. So that's religion and irreligion. Paul says this one more time, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Okay? So we're going to unpack these two verses here and focus on these. I've entitled this message, The Biggest Event Since Creation. The Biggest Event Since Creation. And that is that when Paul says that the only thing that matters is the new creation, what God is doing in Christ is he is recreating the original creation. He's redeeming the original creation. The the original creation is a big deal. Uh, It's pretty extraordinary what God did. And in these verses, we're finding out that what Paul is expressing that he boasts in is in God's work of recreating and revisioning and refashioning and reestablishing this created world and getting it back on track. And he does that through, through the redemption that's in Christ. How Paul uses the word cross in this passage, the cross represents Christ's entire redemptive work. The the cross represents all of Christ's work. At the end of all of this, he is at peace with the Galatians. He has said some pretty hard things, but he wishes them well. He gives them a benediction, and he departs with, with some brotherly kindness. And he finally says that, At the end, he says, let no one bother me anymore, in verse 17. Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ, or the marks of Jesus. He's making a statement about the sufficiency of the Galatian epistle for their growth, and he can't add anything more to it. He can't explain anything more. He has provided them everything they will need to understand the gospel. And his qualifications... As a minister, he is bearing the marks of persecution in his very body. So now we're looking at the interior life of the Apostle Paul. This massive event, the greatest event since creation, is something that is a dynamic inside him. It is something that he boasts in. He He has finally found something that has caused his humanity to come alive. The decisive event whereby God redeems the world has taken place in Christ. So, here's the situation. The key subject of the book of Galatians is justification. The key subject of the book of Galatians is how does a holy God receive sinners? And the book of Galatians answers this. And all of us here who are professing faith in Christ have a grasp of the answer. And that is that through Jesus we are accepted. But in verse 14, we learn more about what this acceptance 
through Jesus does in the Apostle Paul. It isn't sort of a side subject in his life. It's the central thing of his life. He boasts in the cross of Christ. He boasts in it. Now, what does the cross of Christ provide for us? And the answer is, it provides for us what we don't have. We don't have righteousness. And so in the life and in the death of Jesus, we are provided a way for us to be made right with God. This is called justification. And I would contend that the biggest event in history since the creation of the world is God providing Christ as a means for sinners to be justified. There is no other hope for sinners outside of what God has provided in Christ. Now here's what happens to us when we don't understand what God is doing in Christ. In Romans 10, and I'm just going to read this out loud for you, and this is written to uh, the Jews of Paul's day, and actually it is, encapsulates much of Israel's history. In Romans 10, verse 1, it says this, Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, listen to that, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The key problem with the human heart is that we are not submitting ourselves to the righteousness of God. You see this in the life of Jesus. He performs a miracle. He explains the significance of it. He highlights himself in some way or another as the Redeemer. And then we have, on occasions, we have people resisting this and turning away from it, even though they've seen a miracle. What Paul describes here in Romans 10, verse 3, is that they did not understand the righteousness of God and they began to fabricate their own righteousness. What I mean by this is, when a person doesn't understand what God requires, then they think what they can manufacture is going to be enough. If if someone doesn't comprehend the perfection that God requires, then their understanding of themselves is, is built up. It's, it's boast, it, they're boasting in something they can do. So there's two key areas of knowledge that are vital for the Christian life and vital for the understanding of the gospel. Knowledge of self and knowledge of God. There's a particular kind of self-knowledge that is absolutely required of you, otherwise you will never turn to Christ. The self-knowledge is, I am unable to meet God's righteous requirement. That has to be a realization that comes over you. 
I am unable to be enough. I'm unable to do enough. This is a knowledge of the self. If this knowledge is not there, pride will fill in any possible gap that's in you and it will present to you that you are in some way or another righteous enough. In other words, boasting, that's what a key word here in Galatians 6, boasting, Paul says, I am only going to boast in the cross. It's very hard to get people to do that because we find something else to boast in, something else to find comfort in, something else to... The only way we can ever boast in the cross is through a remarkable discovery that we do not give God what he requires. Now what Paul is doing here in verse 14 is he's taking the whole wide scope of the world, the world as a system, the world as a way of being, and he's saying, I am crucified to it. This means that it does not, it is not a system whereby I am working the system in order to make myself good, okay, or presentable. It doesn't work that way. And I am crucified to the world. My attempts at righteousness seeking are worthy of being crucified. My attempts at righteousness are, as in the words of Isaiah, filthy rags. When a person begins to understand what God requires, they begin to see and perceive, they begin to have knowledge of what God is requiring. When they begin to see it and understand it, then the system of the world and the system of flesh now becomes ridiculous because there's no way that w- these, these efforts, these pleasures, these pursuits, they will not answer the core problem that I have before a holy God. The flesh and the world are really teaming up to provide the illusion of okayness. The flesh and the world are teaming up to give the illusion of okayness. This is why it's extremely hard to just preach Christ. Because there's so many other things that you could exhort people to do or to be. So many other more, in, uh, more appealing things to do or to be. The church has a hard time staying on Christ and Christ alone. And so we appeal to other things and we change the gospel. The gospel is for those who are poor in spirit who have now seen what God requires. Human wisdom, by and large, is some kind of effort. The whole age since Adam can be described as effort. Some sort of effort to pull my life together, to make my life work, to make me assured that I am okay. This happened in the time of Jesus in front of miracles, 
in front of evidence, in front of the Messiah, they turned away not understanding the righteousness of God and they fabricated their own righteousness. And Jesus challenged that righteousness, told them it was worthless, and when you mess with someone's righteousness system, be careful. God comes along and he undermines human wisdom. He demonstrates how it isn't powerful enough or wise enough or clever enough to achieve what God requires. So Paul's final salvo to the Galatians is, I boast only in the cross. And all this discussion about circumcision or uncircumcision is just ridiculous. The only thing that matters verse 15, is the new creation. Now he's speaking about people. And he's speaking about the hope that's already in true believers and the whole new creation is already at work inside you. The age to come has come crashing into your heart already in the form of forgiveness. You already know what judgment day will reveal. That's startling news. The future should not scare you. God has revealed to you the gospel of his kingdom and of his king. This is good news. And it undermines all human wisdom. And it sounds like foolishness. It sounds like foolishness to trust on some, to someone who's dying on a cross. But it is the wisdom of God. How does God come to rescue us? He comes to deal with our sin. But the key issue of the human heart is ignorance. Romans 10, verse 3 ignorant of the righteousness of God. God is most just and perfect in himself. Now, how can you tell if you've really grasped the righteousness of God? How can you tell when you really get it? Uh, I'm going to propose this. Um, When you really get it, you realize that God doesn't owe you salvation. I'm going to propose propose that as 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 a test. There's probably others you realize that God is just in whatever he does towards sinners. You see, when God requires of us righteousness, he's requiring of us that we would have the same exalted character, that we would be just like him, just in his perfection, and that we would be able to relate to God at that kind of level, that we would not have anything that would be flawed in us. And those who know the righteousness of God know all too well that they do not have this. So to know the righteousness of God is also to know that you don't have it. Now, it's a profound and marvelous moment when a person begins to discover this. 
If you ever meet someone who's sounding like they're poor in spirit as they talk to you, and they're sort of, they don't really sound self-righteous, and they sound like they're understanding that God is holy, they're sounding that way, the odds are conversions underway in them right now. And, and you can almost assure them, if they continue like this, they're, they're essentially repenting as they talk to you. And, and, and the goodness of God is something they want to hear from you. And the salvation that's offered in Christ, they want to learn more about it. You see, to understand the righteousness of God means that we are to despair of all other attempts at being righteous. That's what Paul means when he says, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. For the Judaizers, for those who are cruising around the New Testament landscape and adding to the gospel, they're just, they're just banking on the flesh and its desire to look good. So it's, the, it's the, the flesh and the world are working together. And they're working together And it's very, very difficult. In fact, I would say it's impossible, apart from the grace of God, to turn to his righteousness, to renounce our own righteousness. Now, just a reminder, justification is whereby God imparts to the sinner, imputes to the sinner the righteousness of Jesus by faith alone. All that Jesus is, all that he accomplished in his life by way of obedience to God's law, all that he atoned for on the cross is now attributed to you. The payment of sin and the righteousness that you don't have is yours. And beyond this, you are adopted into God's family. You are part of the family. You are an heir through Christ. You are given the Holy Spirit And having all these things, we are to then turn to these other systems and be dead to them, to be dead to them, and to be made alive to God. Romans 11.32 says this, God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. When we were thinking we were saved by being religious, we were consigned to disobedience. If we were hoping that through irreligious lifestyle we could finally find freedom, we were consigned to disobedience. This is the knowledge of self that's vitally important. The knowledge of God that's required by faith to receive this righteousness is that he is good, that he is willing, and that he will provide a way that the righteousness of Christ can be applied to even the lowliest of sinners. God can and fully accept us through Christ. You can be received by the God who made all things and who made you. The world and the flesh are self-justifying systems. Increasingly, they should become dead in our hearts. This is Paul's inner thinking. This is what motivates him to move into religious and irreligious places. 
He understood fully how he had tried to justify himself through religious practice. He now understands that religious people tend to be ignorant of God's righteousness. Let me ask you, do you know yourself? Do you know yourself in this way, that you are devoid of righteousness? That the world or your flesh cannot provide this? And do you know God, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is long-suffering, that he is willing to apply his son's atonement for you? Both truths must be accepted. You must see yourself as devoid of righteousness and you must see God as willing to give you this righteousness. So, of course, circumcision or uncircumcision mean nothing. The only thing that matters is whether or not we are in the new creation. The new creation of a person the whole new world that is now being formed and shaped in us and will come physically one day. And all this is through the cross. Do we as a church begin and understand how to boast in this cross? Pray for me. Pray for anyone who preaches here. Pray for anyone who leads here that we would not grow tired of boasting in the cross and find in this cross deep wisdom that we can never fully exhaust. And we begin to not only find it, but we begin to glory in it as a church, grasp it more deeply, and have our understanding enlarged about the cross, teach about the cross, apply it to our lives, to our families, to our marriages, and may we become a boasting church grateful for what God has done in Christ. Let's pray.